Lead Generation Strategies for B2B Tech Companies, a podcast by Brightvision. Here, you will learn how to generate great leads from the most experienced B2B sales and marketing people. Your host today, and always, is Jakob Levenbrand, CEO at Brightvision. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the B2B Lead Jam podcast for tech companies. My name is Jacob Lovenbrand. I'm the managing director of Bright Vision as well as host of this podcast. Today, we're going to talk about hypergrowth for SaaS companies, which is a really big and interesting topic. But we're going to zoom in uh, on a few of these aspects, and we're going to do that together with a real expert in this area. We have real life experience from scaling several companies really, really fast in this area, and uh, who have helped numerous companies to do this uh, this travel, going from a startup to a scale up and to big companies and so on, and have also published several books in this topic. And I'm talking about Aaron Ross, co-founder and CEO of Predictable Revenue, and have a lot of experience in this area. So with that short introduction, welcome to today's podcast, Aaron. Yeah, thanks, Jacob. Happy to be here. I know we were talking um, originally, actually, 2014, like times. That many years ago, you were talking about having an event invited me out to Sweden. Didn't work out at that time. But I was like, yeah, it goes back a, a long ways. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And our first webinar was in 2012 or something, something yeah. like that. So awesome to talk to you again and, and uh, check in on and see what predictable revenue and, and you are up to these days. But I know yep. you've been busy helping a lot of companies accelerate their sales and so on. So uh, maybe you can give us a little bit of a recap what's what's been going on the last six, eight years in your life. And well, you know, yeah. Well, the funny thing is the main thing went from um, like zero kids to nine kids. So I think that was the biggest difference. But uh, on yeah. the work front, that was hyper, that's hyper growth of a family, uh, hyperscaling a family. Yeah, uh, that's definitely an, an personal impact on your life, I suppose. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, and then moving to Scotland. Actually, now we're very close to each other. So I would say, def- and I write about this in the Impossible book, um, having a big family and growing it that fast was highly motivating to um, grow my own business, hyper growth my own business Well to grow it. Um, but I think over the last th- those years, you know, the predictable revenue book came out in 2011. Um, predictable revenue, which was really focused on kind of the story of, you know, salesforce.com. I created that outbound prospecting machine there and kind of like how that system worked. Then the biggest change, the uh, just recently, the impossible to inevitable book came out, which we're going to talk about. And that really is like a growth Bible. Um, I did that with Jason Lemkin and really looking at why for companies that grow quickly, right? That scale, like what are the differences between companies that struggle and the ones that do grow? And really trying to boil it down to a few key areas and ideas to help, uh, especially like leaders and entrepreneurs learn how, like what are the systems that hyper growth companies use to, to grow faster? It's not even the systems. It's also like, what are the areas to focus on? As an entrepreneur, there's always like a thousand things you feel like you should do that need to get fixed. It's so easy to get kind of scattered around too many issues. So especially on the the marketing and sales side, like what are those few key areas that they really need to focus on that enables faster growth? 
Oh, that's so so interesting to hear, and um, I'm I'm really stoked to to dive into these yeah. areas. Maybe we should start with how do you define hypergrowth? You know, and uh, what what does that concept come from? <laughs> yeah, well, I think pretty commonly in the at least in the SaaS world, um, you know, a lot of companies are wanting their their goal is to grow. Uh, by 100, like to like double year over year, or sometimes even triple. So, do are the companies that do that? Yep. Do most companies do that? No. But something they aspire to. Everyone wants to. Everyone wants to grow faster. So, even if you're a company who grew 20% last year, you might want to keep it up at 20% or get it to 30% this year. So, I think what just looking at the companies that do grow quickly, you know, again, what are the differences between those companies and the ones that struggle? Now, I would say that my work and the Impossible book, we do tend to focus on companies that already have a product, right? They've got some sales already. So, you know, Peter Thiel wrote a book called Zero to One, right? You know, from nothing to something. And I'd say uh, the Impossible book is from like one to N. You know, once you have something, how do you multiply it? So in this case, assuming you've got product and you've got some people buying it, and you probably at least hopefully have a few first few sales. How do you start to grow your sales? Mm. Now, uh, I would say the first thing, and actually this, this first lesson is kind of relevant to almost anyone, whether you have a product or not, is the first chapter is called Nailing a Niche, or this first topic, because this is the most common problem that entrepreneurs and, and revenue executives deal with. You know, the, you've got a product, you've got some sales, um, but then you're struggling, kind of plateau, and you're struggling to get more. And it usually comes into play it can kind of happen anywhere, like even when you're trying to get your first first sales. Um, but a lot of times, let's say you have some revenue and you're growing and you kind of plateau at a few hundred thousand or a few million in revenue and you, you just can't you use plateau. So what happens is what you don't realize it's really about like getting to know the kind of the mind of the customer and to where to what kinds of customers are you in need to have versus where are you in nice to have. What you don't realize, you don't really appreciate the difference, like there's this huge difference between selling, um, getting introductions and selling to people where there's some relationship or some introduction or some referral. Because when you start a company, of course, you're really focused on your, your relationships, your networks, your, your friends of friends, um, kind of people who just kind of find you and these organic kind of organic growth. And you should focus on that. But selling and getting appointments and selling to that kind of customer is very different than when you need to go out and go find and talk to customers who don't know you. There's, there's actually, you might think, okay, it's probably a little harder, but no, it's, it's a huge gap. And I think that's a, a pit that people fall into is underestimating the size of the, the difference and the size of the challenge of selling to people who don't know you versus when there's been some sort of prior relationship or referral. Yeah, interesting. And, um... And I suppose that, as you say, a lot of companies want to grow and, and who don't, you know, <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's an important process. So, so uh, when you wrote this book with Jason and uh, you two have a lot of experience jointly, of course, of SaaS companies mm -hmm. growing extremely quickly and, and not least your, your story and background from Salesforce and so on. But what, what would you, if you know, go through a few of the most important things to, to focus on as a sales company in this stage where you go from one to N, <laughs> what, what would you highlight there from the book and, and the concept yeah. you work and help companies with? 
Well, there's a couple ones. First, I, I would go back to and really it's that kneeling and niche, which is um, defining who your different types of customers have been. Mm. Um, who needs you? Like, when do they need you the most? Like getting to know them and speak their language and stop trying to sell the people who aren't going to buy. Mm. Right? There's a lot of companies that, you, you know, if you sell oranges, stop trying to sell oranges to Apple buyers. Mm. You're just going to waste their time and yours. So that's, that's, the, that's the foundation. Then um, if you actually have some revenue, you have a sales team, next step is specializing your people. It's so vital. And this makes everything else easier is if you follow, um, you know, what all the sports team think, is there any sports team in the world, but let's say football, any sports team um, where a coach would tell everyone on the team, everyone to attack and everybody defend. There's not, you have a team, every team, every sport, you have specialists, you've got attackers and midfield defenders, goalie, whatever the sport is. Um, people who are like focused on doing one thing really, really well. And as soon as you have two people in a sales team, you need to start to specialize. Uh, you know, you typically have like a salesperson who's closing, a senior person and a junior person who's handling different forms of, you know, appointment setting or inbound lead generation, outbound, um, like a support person or BDR, SDR. But as you, that's like put the number one like as soon as you've got some revenue, you have a sales team, the number one thing that you need to do that will make it successful is kind of specialize the roles, define the roles and specialties correctly. And those can evolve over time. It can vary, but there's really there's four kind of basic roles that generally form a template for mostly SaaS companies. And that is inbound lead response. If you've got inbound leads, hopefully you do, not everyone does. Uh, outbound prospecting, a dedicated outbound prospecting person or team. And those are separate from the new business salespeople and separate from the kind of anything that happens with customers on the back end, right? So that could be account management for expansion. It could be customer success. There could be a bunch of roles uh, serving current customers. But that model of having more types of jobs on your sales team, so there's people can do fewer things better in concert, like a team working together, is the kind of the foundation for a, a successful sales team. Mm. Yeah, awesome. So interesting. How do you compare uh, the latest year's uh, development in, in building those outbound and inbound sales teams compared to 10 years ago when you wrote the predictable revenue? Have you seen any trends or changes uh, during this uh, episode that's been between the books? Um, yeah, well, I think a couple. One, more companies are following this, the model of specializing your salespeople. Um, and that's what all the fast growth companies do, but it's still not all companies. Mm -hmm. I think there's some nuances. So some of the nuances, for example, are you really, if you have inbound leads of any volume, and that could be, you know, um, you know, a hundred to a few hundred, that job really should be completely separate than outbound prospecting. So kind of this inbound SDR Sometimes there's all kinds of names for the, the, the junior sales job that responds to inbound leads is a different job. It, it looks the same as out, an outbound prospector, right? Cause they're both kind of appointment setting with calls and emails, LinkedIn for salespeople, but the job's actually completely different. The mindset, the metrics, the comp, the methodology, the way you use the tools, they're, they're really completely separate jobs. So those have to be separate. If you want outbound to work, it needs to be dedicated. So that's one, that's still a common mistake. Another is for salespeople, um, yeah, they should prospect some, but really to a handful of accounts. So I think one mistake is that 
you know, these sales teams, they get prospectors or they have lots of inbound leads and you just develop a very reactive culture because they're so used to just getting appointments and they don't have, they haven't had to prospect or uh, it's just not part of the culture. And you get this kind of reactive culture. So it's important still to have some discipline with the salespeople to do their own form of business development, but to like a select number of target accounts or partners, you know, five, 10, 20, maybe 30. You know, so a much more focused, personalized approach, lower volume on the sales side and not trying to get the salespeople to do like high volume prospecting. So there's a lot of, you know, companies needed to follow the special specialization model, but adapt it to kind of their situation and kind of really find out there's a lot of nuances to it that make a big difference to, um, you know, really creating the ability for the people in the job to, to really succeed. And a lot of comes down to like time and focus because people just can't be good at everything. It's just impossible. And it's not fair to expect them to be good at everything. They're just, you're just setting them up for failure. Do you work as a sales, marketing, or channel manager and would like to generate great leads to your B2B tech company? Then we are here for you. By creating a qualified sales pipeline and strengthen your position in the tech industry, we help you grow. Depending on your needs, we use effective strategies like inbound marketing, telemarketing, account-based marketing, and paid media. Get more information on brightvision.com. If a company uh, follows these receipts and so on, how likable is it to succeed? How, how much is is uh, depending on the product's attractivity and how much is on the sales and marketing process, would you say, uh, regarding hypergrowth and if you can achieve that or not? Well, it's everything working together. You know, I think one other change that's happened, and this is something that's going to continue, right? There's this, um, this Uber trend under everything, which is just general noise and, and, and busyness. Right? The more technology means more apps sending more messages across more channels. Mm. And so what you've seen in whether it's in um, content marketing or outbound is that uh, it just becomes more competitive because right? there's more noise and how do you stand out through the noise? Mm-hmm. So it is a combination, you know, there's no silver bullet, but it's a lot of, it's a combination of having um, kind of like nailing a niche, like having a clear sense of who the kinds of segments and customers who need you, whether that's at a kind of company level or whether that's at a campaign or level. And then having a process so, or a playbook with something, again, it could be a marketing playbook or outbound playbook and having the right people kind of moving, doing the right steps. So let's say is again, there's these three kind of areas, right? Do you have the right people? Um, do you have the right funnels, which is the, how much of what should I do? Playbooks. And then how do you have forcing functions? Which how do you ensure things happen? And forcing functions really are, I know uh, that's something that I used to succeed. You know, for me, it's just when everyone's, when I'm busy and having a big family, it's impossible not to be busy. So it's like exercise is really, it doesn't happen unless I actually block time on a calendar. Um, writing a book, like writing the impossible book would not have happened if I hadn't blocked out Wednesdays and had, you know, like a, a co-author and a publisher to kind of have deadlines and accountability. So I think as the world gets busier, you know, it creates more need for people to focus. The, the, one of the counters to busyness is focus, right? So that's why things like sales specialization work because people are kind of focused on fewer things for their job. That's why nailing a niche is so important because you can focus on kind of 
more specific types of customers with a more specific message to cut through the noise. And I think if there was one, especially for the predictable revenue book, there's one word, it really would be focus. Because uh, yeah, this, this rising tide of noise is just gonna continue. That's, that's not gonna stop ever. No, exactly. And that's, uh, that is a challenge for, for many sales role, not the least the SDRs and, and the, the outbound specialists and so on. So what do you see? I mean, you've, wrote, you've written a lot about tactics regarding email sequences. You more or less was one of the innovators of the, you know, cold e- email prospecting process and so on. How do you see those kind of tactics works in 2021? Do you still recommend that or should we tweak these processes or do you have new medic bullets there <laughs> to offer? Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit different. So now you think a lot about cookbooks, right? In you know, 50 years ago, there was one major cookbook, right? The joy of cooking. Mm-hmm. And now there's a million cookbooks, mm-hmm. but they're all valuable. They all work, right? I mean, whether you're, you know, a vegetarian or a paleo or, you know, it's like a cookbook for every kind of like target market in a way. The same thing with outbound, which is, there's not like one technique that always works. It's just, there's too much noise there. So it's really more about, um, there's a lot of proven techniques, including like, um, I'll, sh- I'll share some tips on, on improving messaging, but, uh, but a lot of it's really kind of knowing your customer, knowing kind of working to understand their language, what they, their problems and reaching out over multiple channels uh, multiple times. So the omni-channel, ch- omni multi-channel is really important, phone, LinkedIn, email. And then the, the follow-up. So um, continuing to touch me, you know, they used to say it was probably like an average of like 10, 10 years to me, 10 touches. And now it's probably an average of like 15 to 20 touches. Mm-hmm. So that's even before tactics, like those are all really important. And then on the tactics side, I'd say there's, here's, I'll give you, you know, two or three simple tactics. You take any message you've got, you kind of make anything easier. Um, first step, Make sure if you have any big chunks of text, divide, you know, break those up into smaller bites of like one or two sentences. It makes it visually more friendly to look at and read. Step one. Step two, really work to get rid of the fluff. There's so much like excess word, verbiage and blah, blah, blah in people's emails uh, or messages. Like, so just, there's a great slide share I always recommend. It's called Killer Word. If you Google Killer Word slide share, and just kind of is illustrates illustrates all these examples of fluffy paragraphs and eliminating all the fluff. Mm-hmm. So that's step two: eliminate your verb, your 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 written or verbal fluff. Step three: just if you had to rewrite this in something that's a little more customer friendly, you know, what would that mean? We have the leading edge platform. Okay, well, what's so great about that? You know, like they're not going to care that you have a platform. They're not going to care about you know what are they going to care about? And the last couple steps, really simple. First, read it out loud. That'll help you catch awkwardness. And then send it to yourself so you can look at it on your phone and your laptop, just for like basic readability. So you take any message on LinkedIn, um, in some even phone scripts or email, and you can kind of improve what you got with some of those tips. Right? So small bites, um, kill a word, rewrite it to be friend- customer friendly, read it out loud, review on your laptop and email. Mm, awesome tips and uh, talking about tactics uh, for, for a you know smaller SaaS companies that maybe not have the budget to, to have a full-blown process with all the specialists and, and all the marketing experts and so on 
how do you should how do you think uh, you should uh, weight your budget? Should you focus more on outbound or inbound? More on you know which roles and uh, how would you recommend to to a scale up uh, SaaS company to 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 focus their efforts? Yeah. Well, first, I think if you are a SaaS company with a product um, and you, your deal size is big enough, or you have a segment of customers that are worth probably you know at least ten or twenty thousand uh, you know euro or dollars, outbound is going to be key for you. So it's usually where you might want to start. If not, you know, content marketing of some sort is going to be better. If you're a services company, if you have something all, or something that's hard to explain, uh, or again, you have lots of little customers, uh, content marketing uh, is going to be a better place. And either way, um, some, if you have really small customers, obviously, you can find some channel partners. So I think a lot of this depends on your deal size, right? How much customers are worth, because that affects the kinds of channels that you can use. So bigger deals is more outbound to start. Smaller deals tend to be, you know, partners and content. If it's like the more concrete your product is, you know, if it's a concrete, like a thing that's easy to understand, outbound is better. If it's hard to explain, content marketing is to start. At some point you want everything, right? You want outbound, you want content or other kinds of marketing, paid marketing, and you want um, customer success and referrals. But you gotta pick, pick your battles. Yeah. Great, great insights there. Um, another big uh, topic in, in uh, sales and marketing over the last few years have been account-based marketing and, and ABM tactics and ABM plays and how you should approach the marketing in an ABM setup and so on. Even I've seen a lot of specialized sales roles and SDR roles focused on ABM and so on. So what's your take on ABM? How does that... Uh, fit the, the puzzle of uh, how to structure your process and so on. Do, do you propose ABM tactics for SaaS companies as well? And uh, how do you think about that? Yeah, well, ABM means a lot of things. And I think to some extent, ABM, account-based marketing is the right way to go. I think of, because I tend to specialize in outbound, like account-based outbound, but really it means typically sales and marketing working together to define the right accounts and having um, I would say tiers. So uh, we, there's a guy named John Miller who founded co-founder Marketo and then we call Engagio. And he wrote a, a guest section in the impossible book about account-based marketing. And he defined four tiers. So kind of like tier one would be there's, you know, uh, very strategic accounts that have high touch, high personalization. Right. And then all the way down to the bottom, the most transactional, but really like identify who your target accounts are kind of group them into buckets, which is how much um, investment and effort will you put per group, how strategic is one account versus not, and then working to come up between sales and marketing on the kinds of plays you want to run together. So now I think for small, for a lot of companies, it's way more work than they realize. So you have to be uh, aware of the principles make a lot of sense, right? Account-based, you know, you have your target accounts and work them your ability to execute and to create either fancy plans, it's just easy to overestimate your, how much you can do. So I think for, for companies and whether you're by small, maybe even a few million in revenue or a few tens of millions, um, you really gotta focus on for account-based marketing, whether we use a platform or not, whether we do, out, you know, whatever you're, you gotta be realistic about what you can actually do. 
There's a lot of technology out there for account-based marketing that may not be a fit for you. There is just such a wide open place. It's kind of, the best thing is start with a plan, which is here's an account. How, how, what's the best way for us to approach this? And then work backwards to decide, do you need different tools for that? Versus trying to load up on like an account-based platform or, um, but it can be an overwhelming space. There's still, I feel like a lot of confusion because it's, it's a big topic. You got to pick a, a simple place to start with it. Yeah, good, good <laughs> advice there. I, I um, sounds very sound. And uh, when we talk about ABM and especially with John Miller and Engage on all these kind of marketing technology that have more or less exploded over the last five, six yeah. years. What's your take on that? How much should a SaaS company in a scale-up mode invest in? You know, you can buy for all your budget, just tech, so to say, in order to set up all the processes and so on. What, yeah. what do you feel is necessary or, or not nice to have level, so to say? Well, I feel like, I, mean, I don't have data, but a lot of the um, companies that do buy the technology for like um, in demand-based bot Engageo, and there's Terminus, tend to be bigger companies. And I, I don't want to give a number um, but a lot of the um, scale-ups, but if I had to guess, it might even be through you know, like 5, 10, 20, 30 million in revenue. I feel like I, don't, I haven't run too many companies that have those platforms. Mm-hmm. And it's probably a better place to start is even using the CRM you've got. Like here's a common mistake. Okay, you're targeting a big company. Um, you know, it could be Bank of England, it could be Vodafone. You know, in your CRM, even just start by mapping out all the different divisions of that company that feel like separate buying centers, right? Versus just having everyone in one account or company object say, all right, here's the headquarters. Here's division one, here's division two. And this, there's a little bit of art to this because when you kind of look up corporate divisions, there could be a bunch of like um, shell corporations and you don't really know where some of the buyers are. So part of this is, is on the research side, this is where um, outbound prospectors can be incredibly useful uh, as well as salespeople is just mapping out, okay, here's the company, where are the different divisions and which ones, like where are the different buying groups that are relevant to us and kind of laying that out in your CRM so that they're all separate and they're not lumped into one account or you're not missing people or you don't have a bunch of like a shell. So that's a good place to start. All people don't do mm. from there makes it easier to kind of track, oh, here's this, at the account level, where are we talking to people? Where are we not talking to people? And how do we kind of get to the right people? Whether do we have referrals we can ask for? Do we need to go and hold? And then from there, you can have get a better sense of the tactics you need to use. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. So um, have you, uh, I know you, you coached a lot of companies over the last five years are, uh, and done this. Have you seen, uh, can, can you give us any insight to some case story where you have seen this really play out well when, uh, you know, you got the different parts together, so to say? Yeah. Um, well, I know, for example, in, in the book, we were able, it was great. We had a, a client who, who let us, they gave us a whole bunch of details and let us actually like really write up a good case study. Cause as I think a lot of people know, part of the challenge isn't even just getting results. It's getting, does the customer have the details and are they willing to share them? Um, but Acquia is, was a great one. They were a company doing about 30 to 40 million in inbound leads and they wanted to get to hundred million. They knew they had to layer on an outbound prospecting team. 
And so we helped them, it was about six months, help them build their own, it was a team of three prospectors to kind of get some data and get it going. And they, and they decided they, after six months, they had enough data of the pilot to build a team. So they hired, you know, 30 or 40 prospectors over the next couple of years to, uh, to add an extra 30 million in revenue to help them break that hundred million dollar mark. So I think that's a little bit of an extreme example. There are a lot of companies we, that we help that, um, you know, are, it could be not a services company, but they're not a hyper growth company, but the principles are the same, right? So ultimately a lot of the ultimate growth rate is affected by your product and your market. Like, and if you, and there's not, there may not be a lot you can do about that, but you always make it better. You can always grow faster by kind of like, make sure you're nailing your niche, having your sales, uh, sales role set up and specialized the right way. And probably the mo- really common challenge I've seen over the years is uh, just a lack of funnel metrics and understanding of what generates pipeline, which pipeline closes, lead sources. Um, like people's marketing funnels tend to be pretty, they're not really in, well understood and outbound funnels are a little bit and sales funnels. Um, it's easy to measure lots of stuff, but to, I think what the missing piece is people don't often understand like, or they forget or they get too busy all the human parts of the metrics to ensure that the metrics are actually accurate. So like on the sales side, if you have, is your definition of a sales qualified lead, does that, is it useful? And do people follow it? If you're doing um, inbound marketing, uh, are you, are you, measuring kind of the lead source differently than the lead type, right? So here's a really common mistake on the marketing side. Hey, we're getting a bunch of leads from webinar leads, right? We got webinar leads, we got demo leads. Well, yeah, that's the lead type, but where'd they come from? What was the source? We don't know. Was it word of mouth? Was it paid marketing? Was it organic? So the lead source is where they hear about you. The way they register, like the point of registration is lead type. So like that difference, and it's, it's kind of a pain in the butt, but that difference isn't, isn't is rarely tracked or never tracked on the marketing side. So there's a lot of those um, steps and iterations to get to the point where executives have uh, sort of clarity and trust that their, their analysis, like revenue and pipeline analyses make sense. So they understand where the revenue is actually coming from and where it's, where it's not. And so they know where to invest. That's, that's a bigger challenge than people realize. Yeah, it's it's complex. <laughs> so yeah. I, I totally yeah. agree. It is hard to to understand or intuitively all these uh, KPIs. So I, I I'm not surprised if you come across a lot of companies who have not understood actually where you know <laughs> where the business is coming from and where to prioritize and so on. So yeah, yeah. Great, when they great dig in, yeah, when they dig in, it's they realize wow they they thought they knew but they really don't. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, and that's uh, that's why people can call you if they need, to, <laughs> you know, uh, help with those kind of things. So uh, I know you're a busy guy, uh, Aaron. Uh, you have uh, a lot on your plate, so we'll need to wrap up here. But you know, you have so much great content uh, and so on, books, etc. So um, for people who have listened into this and think this is really interesting, I would like to le- read more about. The things you 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 know have published. Where can they find more about you and your content, Aaron? Yeah, great place to start. Again, um, the predict sorry the from impossible to inevitable inevitable book, uh, which is on Amazon. 
or go to fromimpossible.com. It's probably on other, other websites, uh, fromimpossible.com. And then for our business uh, or speaking or uh, consulting, predictablerevenue.com is our, our company company. Ah, awesome. Yeah, I'm well, probably not that hard to find on LinkedIn. No, hopefully not. <laughs> Aaron Ross. <clears throat> and uh, Aaron, it was a pleasure to talk to you. You offered a lot of insights, uh, and I'm sure a lot of sauce companies and sauce entrepreneurs have listened into this, and, and marketeers and sales managers as well. So thank you so much for that. I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, so, uh, follow you in the in the future and upcoming books and, and uh, new topics you dive into I'm, uh, I'm all for it so thank you so much for your time all the best with predictable revenue and uh, yeah hope you have a yeah good thanks Jake. and it's great yeah. now now we're practically neighbors so yeah after covid let's catch up and see if we yeah. can meet <laughs> all right jacob yeah thanks very much Thank you for listening to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B tech companies. Don't forget to subscribe. You will find it where podcasts live. Discover how we can help you with your lead generation activities at brightvision.com.